Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. There have been two times in my life that I found myself as the pilot in command of an airplane on a flight uh, where the successful, uh, successful conclusion was uncertain. Uh, it, the, first, the second time, actually, uh, was... Uh, on a Christmas day, I've talked about it before years ago, I think it was 1991, on a beautiful Christmas day with my father-in-law in the plane when I discovered I had vertigo. And, uh, and, and I wasn't exactly sure how we were going to get ourselves back on the ground successfully, but you know, here we are, so we did. And the first time it ever happened was 22 years, I guess, before that, uh, when I was 16 years old. And, and I was on a solo cross country. When you're learning to fly, you get your license when you're 17, you solo when you're 16. So I was working on my pilot's license and you have to do what they call a long cross country, which means you have to fly from a, a, a cross country that has three legs, a cross country flight that has three legs, one of which is at least a hundred miles. So in Sevierville, where I learned, we always flew to Chattanooga and then we would go up uh, to Crossville and then back to Sevierville and that and that completed the circuit. So it was, a, it was an overcast day. It was cold. It was in the winter. It was very cold. Uh, the weather was supposed to be good up until about 7 o'clock. And then there were some snow showers going to move in. So the weather person said. And I believed him. My father really didn't want me to go. He was afraid there would be icing. And I said, well, you know, Dad, the air's dry at this point, And there won't be. I'm not going to be in the clouds. There won't be any icing. It'll be fine. So, so I went. And I flew to Chattanooga. had a flight plan filed and you have to be you have to stay within the parameters of the flight plan in terms of time so I got to Chattanooga and and someone uh, had a privately owned p-51 Mustang that was sitting on the ramp there where the general aviation uh, aircraft go uh, which is apart from where the airliners go and so everybody was gathered around and the pilot was there and he was talking about the plane and how fast it would go how many horsepower it was and it was fascinating and I sort of lost track of time and realized you know, I need to get up to Crossville before the weather gets bad. So I got in the plane, flew up to Crossville, and they had a, a, what's called a flight service station. They don't have them anymore, and actually there were people in it. It was basically a place to, where they do weather, and they, and they take care of flight plans and that sort of thing. So, so I stopped in uh, to get my logbook signed. One thing you have to do, every place you land, you have to get somebody to sign it to say, you know, I, yes, this, he landed in Chattanooga, or he landed in Crossville, and you get a signature so you can prove you actually made the trip. So they had this fantastically detailed map of the southeastern United States with all the airports. And so I had the, I was, I missed it in Chattanooga because I was so busy looking at the, the P-51 Mustang. And I, and so I had to, you have to get a pack of peanut butter crackers and a Coke. You're not a pilot if you don't get peanut butter crackers and a Coke at one of the airports where you're flying. So I got that, they had a vending machine and I did. And, and I was looking at this map and I was kind of 
kind of lost in all that. And I heard one of the guys yell across the room, son, did you say you were going to Sevierville? And I said, yep. He said, well, if it's starting to snow here, if I were you, I would go. So I jumped in the plane. It really kind of freaked me out a little bit. Uh, I took off, forgot to latch the door at the top. And it sounds like a hurricane inside the plane. If you do that, it's not really dangerous, but it's very unnerving. So I got the thing shut and I was already, even at 16, whenever you think you're bulletproof and invincible, I was already a kind of on edge. And as I was, it's only about a 30 minute flight from Crossville to Sevierville in that particular airplane. I think it's 82 miles as straight as the crow flies. But the weather was deteriorating rapidly. I already had to redo my flight plan because I was going to have to plan for a lower altitude. The ceiling was lowering, and there were beginning to be snow showers. And, and because I had run late, it was starting to get slightly dusky. So I was a little bit on edge, and I just was passing Knoxville <clears throat> over to the left, and I was looking for Bluff Mountain, which is a great uh, landmark to get to Sevierville. Sevierville's just to the left of Bluff Mountain if you're heading that way. But the ceiling was so low, it would already obscured the towers on top of Bluff Mountain. And that really made me afraid. I was still within the legal limits, but I was way beyond my comfort zone at this point because snow showers were popping up and they would obscure your view. Snow will just about take the visibility away, even though the visibility was still okay. So I was having to dodge these snow showers, which got me slightly off course, and I got a little disoriented, and I was looking for clusters of lights. I kept remembering what my, what my uh, flight instructor told me. He said, if it's starting to get dark, always go toward the lights. And I said, why is that? And he said, well, it means that there are people around, and, and if you crash, they'll find your body quicker. And, he, and he, he knew he needed to do that for a 16-year-old uh, boy uh, who thinks he's bulletproof and invincible. So I'm like, okay, look for lights. And, 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 and in the dusk, lights on the ground from an airplane, they all flicker because you're seeing trees between them or, or other obstacles. And so I'm looking for the beacon of the airport because rotating, the rotating beacon flashes once white, and then once green, and you can you know where the airport is. You can't see the runway lights in Sevierville because the runway is down behind the trees. And at this point, I'm thinking, okay, I've got two choices. I can get to the airport and land. If I have to go back, if I, if I realize that I'm in instrument weather, then I have to remember also what my instructor said, the four C's, climb, communicate, confess, and comply. And that means I've got to admit that I'm in uh, trouble that I can't get out of. And I've got to climb back through the clouds and try to get out of them. And that's where the ice is. And I've got to tell you, at 16 years old, that's the first time I think I'd ever come face to face with the possibility that I was actually a mortal human being that could actually uh, die at 16 years old. So I'm looking and looking, and all of a sudden, through the dusk and through these snow showers, I see a, I see a white flash, and I thought, oh, please, let's see green. And there it was. There was the little, there was the little green flash. And, and in that one flicker of light, I went from a level of way beyond discouragement, a level of abject fear that really I had never experienced up to that point. With one flicker of light from that to this feeling of warmth and a feeling of encouragement. And I knew that I was, I was going to make it. I, there was the airport. I could get there. And I did. And I landed, obviously, and everything was okay. But, you know, as I, as I thought about this week as we continue our sermon series uh, about the Holy Spirit and about how we are empowered 
empowered by the Holy Spirit. Uh, what, in, what, what made me think of that was, was today we're going to talk about encouragement. And encouragement is, is so powerful in our lives that it can change a moment and it can change an outcome just by simply feeling encouraged. And sometimes it only takes one flicker of light to go from despair and the heaviness of discouragement and not knowing exactly what's going to happen next to feeling a lightening of the spirit and to feeling and, and feeling that warmth of encouragement that things actually may be okay. Encouragement can change a moment and it can change an outcome. And as we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is the love of God revealed to us in real life, in real time. You know, God will always be mystery, but it's not a mystery how we're connected to God through the Holy Spirit. That isn't, that's it's simply us becoming aware of the Spirit's presence. And we've talked about how the Spirit does, in fact, that connect us intimately with God. We've talked about how the Spirit can provide wisdom beyond what we would have in our, by natural means in a moment where we really need to, mo to know more about something so we can make a good decision. We've learned that the Holy Spirit will move us toward service, toward actually being the hands and feet of Christ in the world. We talked about that last week. Today, I want to talk about how the Holy Spirit provides encouragement and how the Spirit will also use you and me to provide that encouragement for somebody else. You know, when Jesus was on the earth, just before he was leaving, he was talking to his disciples the night of his arrest, the night before his crucifixion. And he said, I'm going away, but I'm going to send the, the advocate. He used that word. He also used counselor. Uh, they're pericletos, and I'm no Greek scholar, so I don't want to pretend I am, uh, but I've read the books. And, and, and that word, the Greek word pericletos, that, that periclete uh, is the word that, that we hear associated with the Holy Spirit, it has multiple meanings. But advocate is certainly a big one. And what does an advocate do? An advocate stands with someone, works on someone's behalf to help them in a situation that they might not be able to handle on their own. And in that way, the advocate provides encouragement for someone who may be in a tough situation. You could say the same thing for counselor, certainly, and comforter. But I love that idea of advocate and how, how that person stands with someone who needs something beyond themselves in that moment, and it provides incredible encouragement. And the Spirit then... I believe, uh, encourages us as the presence of Christ in the world in, in all things, encourages us in so many ways, encourages us to keep going whenever we're stuck, encourages us to reach for more when we feel like we're limited, encourages us to move out of a bad situation if it's about to overcome us. So many different ways. Encouragement also is a glimpse of what can be in the midst of a difficult what is. And we all find ourselves in those moments, those difficult what is moments. This is what is going on in my life right now. And sometimes it's very difficult and we have a hard time seeing how we're going when the ceiling is lowering and we feel like we're about to be smashed between the ceiling and the earth and our view is obscured because of difficulties like snow showers if you're trying to fly an airplane in the dusk. Um, you can feel very discouraged and you become disoriented and the Holy Spirit can then provide that encouragement in the moment to keep us moving forward so that we can get where God wants us to be.
And I want to use a passage of Scripture, and I'm actually not going to read the whole passage because it's, it's lengthy, and it has such a backstory that's important to understanding what's going on, I thought I would just sort of tell it. So we have this, we have this little piece of art that I found on the Internet uh, that is actually this picture of Elijah. And Elijah was a, was a prophet, and uh, Elijah was a prophet whenever Ahab, who was the seventh king of Israel, was in power. And it was not Ahab the Arab that, uh, that uh, Ray Stevens sang about so many years ago for people as old as me and may remember that. This is King Ahab, and, and he, he was kind of blue, hot, and cold. Sometimes he was a good king, sometimes he wasn't. But he was married to a woman. If you hadn't ever heard of Ahab, I bet you've heard his wife's name. She was, her name was Jezebel, and it, it actually became sort of uh, iconic for anyone who, uh, who had a mean streak and tended to be incredibly selfish and wanted their will over everybody else's will. So, so Ahab, when he was the king of Israel, they were worshiping God, but they were also worshiping other little G gods, in particular Baal. And I think that's how you pronounce it. <clears throat> it's B-A-A-L. And he was a very powerful, well, among the people, had a lot of influence, this little G god, Baal, and they were worshiping him. And God sent Elijah to speak against that. So Elijah goes to Ahab and, and, and King Ahab, and he, and he said, "You, you, you have got to stop, because because you're, you're it's distracting you away from your relationship with God, and you need Him. You need to be loyal and faithful to Him." And but Jezebel really liked the Baal worship, and and so did Ahab. So so they said, "Oh, but Baal is very powerful," and and. And Elijah said, I'm going to prove to you that he has no power at all. And so to condense the story, Elijah has this showdown. And they go up on a mountain and they build two altars. And, and he tells Ahab, get your, get your prophets of Baal. And gosh, I think there were seven or 800 of them. I don't know, maybe nine. Maybe there were two teams of 450 of them. I don't, all the details are slipping through the cracks in my, in my mind, but there were a bunch of them and they got them up there. And so the idea was to call down fire. You get them to call down fire from Baal and I will show you how to call down fire because I will then, when they fail, I will call down fire from the God almighty Yahweh of the universe. So, so they did and they, and they set up the altar and they they circled the altar and they danced and they sang and they cut themselves with swords and they did all these things that they did in the course of their worship. And of course, nothing was happening. And Elijah, Elijah, he invented trash talk. I mean, he really was. He was over there going, hey, hey, maybe you're not singing loud enough. Maybe your God's asleep. You know, yell a little louder. Maybe he'll wake up. And so, of course, no fire ever came down from their God. So, you know, in the, in the ultimate watch this moment, Elijah had him pour water all over the altar. I want you to saturate the altar of, to the Lord, God Almighty. I want you to saturate it in water so much so that they dug trenches and there was water encircling the entire altar. And then Elijah prayed for God to cast down fire and boy, did he? The fire came down and it burned so hot it evaporated the water in the trenches. And without going into a lot of graphic detail, uh, things did not end well for the prophets of Baal. And this really made Jezebel mad when she heard about it. So Jezebel basically uh, put a price 
on Elijah's head. And got word to him and said, I'm coming for you and I'm going to do for you just what your God did to my prophets of Baal. So Elijah took off. He took off running. He was afraid for his life. He ran into the wilderness. He ran for 40 days, it said, and ran into the wilderness and finally was worn out, discouraged. And, he, and the Bible says that he laid, this is what this picture is. He, he laid down under a broom tree. And he said, you know what? I quit. I'm just going to lay down here and die because Jezebel's going to kill me anyway. Lord, I did the best I could. I'm done. And he went to sleep. And so an angel came and woke him up and said, here, here's a little jar of water and, and a little uh, loaf of bread that, that uh, I baked for you. Uh, eat. And so Elijah woke up and he ate some bread. He drank some water. He didn't feel any better. He went back to sleep. He just was finished. And the angel came back, more water, more bread, and said, wake up. Wake up, Elijah, and get moving. God is with you. Keep going. God wants you to meet him at a certain place. And so Elijah went to that place. It was on, it was, uh, on a mountain. And he spent the night in a cave wondering what was going to happen. And the next day, there was this huge whirlwind, almost like a tornado or a hurricane. And Elijah expected God to show up in that, but he didn't. And then there was an earthquake, and Elijah thought, surely to goodness, God is in the earthquake, and the mountain shook. But he wasn't. And then fire came down again, and he said, well, we know God does fire really well. So, so, and, and this is kind of the nearly revised version of, this, of the Bible that I'm reciting for. And, and, and so uh, the fire came down, but God wasn't in the fire. And this is where that we hear that God in a still, small voice. This is the passage that comes from. In a whisper, God spoke to Elijah, and he said, Elijah, you did well. I've got you. It's going to be okay. And in that moment, through all these, this encouragement, it was these steps of encouragement from God through, yes, an angel, I would submit to you, the same thing works for us via the power of the Holy Spirit. These, this encouragement, a little water, a little bread, a little sleep under a tree, and then some words of encouragement. You've got to get up and move and get going, Elijah. God wants you to meet him at a certain place so that he can prove to you that he is here, that he still remembers you, and you're going to be okay. And in fact, he was. And we know famously, Elijah didn't actually die. He was one of only a few people that never died. And he was taken up as his, as his mentee, you know, the one that would follow him, Elisha, watched. And he, this chariot picked him up, took him into heaven. It's an incredible story. And it's a beautiful story of how God encourages us to keep us moving, to keep us on point to keep us doing what God has called us to do. And, and God may not have called you and me to do anything quite that dramatic, but I assure you God has a calling for each of us actually in every moment of our life if we stay in tune with the Holy Spirit and prayer. And I'm going to submit to you that just as God called Elijah to a certain place to reveal himself to him and to encourage him that he was going to be okay, 
God calls us to a certain place, and that place is prayer. On our knees, by the bed, in our car, in the kitchen, wherever we may be. When we pray, we find ourselves in the very presence of God. We're always in God's presence. But when we pray, we come to that realization, and we remember that he is there. And and it's in that moment of focusing on God's power and presence, it was in that moment that Elijah realized I'm going to get past this trouble because God is with me. And it's when it's we find God's presence and power when we pray. And God encourages us as the Spirit communicates on our behalf. And this encouragement can fill us because prayer alerts us to God's presence. The Holy Spirit encourages by revealing God's unexpected presence. And I don't know how many people I've talked to and times in my own life when I have found encouragement and I have found what, what surely was the presence of the Lord uh, when I least expected it because that's the way God works. That's why we should always expect that God is present when our faith is absent. I love that song that said, I believe in God when I don't see him, I believe in love. When I don't feel it, God's presence is there. But when we pray, we remember that. And we find then encouragement in that. Now, I hope that you find that encouragement in your life as the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf and as the Holy Spirit works through us to remind us that we are in God's presence. But the, the Spirit will also use us to do that same thing with somebody else. In 1 Thessalonians, which was the church at Thessalonica, and Paul was, wrote two letters to them. And in this particular part of the, of the first letter, 1 Thessalonians, he was talking to them because, oh, let me back up for a second. In those days, in that first century, the idea was that Jesus was coming back any second. I mean, he's going to be here in five minutes. That's what they thought. And that's, what, that's how they lived. And now as we move further and further and further from that moment, we still know that he will show up at any moment and he may come back any moment. But there was concern for the people who had died before he came back. Does that, are they going to be caught up in the air? Are, are they going to be okay? And so Paul was trying to get them to understand that. And that's kind of the, 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 the setup for this. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, 10 and 11, he died for us that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together in him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Paul is imploring the church to remember that we are all going to be caught up with him. Because of what Jesus did, we are all going to be in his presence and in fact are now. So encourage each other. And, and I'll bet you that you have received a text before or a phone call or a letter or an email or just you saw someone you didn't expect to see and brought that moment of encouragement that you didn't expect. When we were still over in the gym doing our contemporary worship, I did a sermon once, and, and every preacher has these stories where you do a sermon, and, and at the end of it, you think, 
I, that wasn't anything. I shouldn't even take my pay this week. That was pathetic. There's no way that even the God of the universe could use such a sorry sermon. And this was one particular day that I had perhaps, I felt like maybe the worst sermon ever. And that was years and years ago, and I'm sure I've had some just as bad since. But I was, it, we, I'd done this sermon on forgiveness, and I tried to be bold and talk about how, you know, forgiving someone is not saying what they did was okay and doesn't let them off the hook. What it says is, is I am not going to hang on to that anymore. I am not going to let this be my responsibility and my burden to bear. I'm letting go. And that was the point I was trying to make. And I felt like I had done a really poor job of it. So the service was over, and I was lingering on the stage, packing my guitar up or whatever, and I saw one of our church members, a woman who was sitting about three rows back, sobbing, just, I mean, shoulders shaking, sobbing, and I thought, great, Trotter, nice, nice. You obviously have really helped this woman today. So I, I went over, and I just sat down next to her, and I said, can I help? And she looked at me, and she said, I can't believe what you said today. I mean, it, it was as if God were sitting next to me and speaking to me and finally getting me to understand that I'm driving myself crazy by hanging on to my hatred for this person that had hurt me. And it is as, as, as if God himself told me to let go, and I'm going to let go. So I joined her in her tears uh, and I realized uh, that God is not dependent on me being able to be eloquent or um, intellectually astute or theologically accurate to accomplish his will. He just wants us to encourage each other. And apparently, the Holy Spirit had encouraged her through my mumbling words and the way she encouraged me. And I was, I mean, I, I glided out of the gym. I was so encouraged by that, knowing that it's not about me. It's not dependent on me. It's about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will use our presence to reveal the encouraging presence of God to others. And I'll bet you that you have been the encouraging presence of God to more people than you can even count. And the same is probably true as people have done that for you. The Holy Spirit encourages by overwhelming our, I don't know, with God's, but I do. And all we have to do is yield to the impulse of God in that moment. And it could be something as simple as a song. One, again, going back to the gym, going back to the, we used to have Wednesday night dinner over in the gym years ago. Um, we were having, we were trying to, we we're trying to make that transition to start buying these houses here and buying property, that initial vision to, uh, to, to build eventually this East Wing. And it was hard. And there were, and most, I mean, the, the church was for it, but people had different ideas about how it ought to be accomplished. And, uh, you know, feeling a little bit of that pinch. And so I don't know what my face looked like in the, in the moment, but I was standing in the gym and Lynn and our girls came in and, and our girls and I, and Lynn and I do this too. Sometimes when we meet, we, instead of hugging, we'll hug and then we just sort of dance 
and silently to the music in our own spirits. So Christy came in, and Christy was in middle school at that time. And, our, and, and Christy came up, and we were standing in the middle of the gym, and people were eating Wednesday night dinner. And Christy came up, and we happened to be standing right next to Charlie Kirkendall, who I, and he was eating with Sandy and a bunch of people at the table. And so Christy came and hugged me, and then we did what we always do, and we were just, that's just the way we sort of greet each other, and, we're, and Charlie stood up. And Charlie starts singing, I was dancing with my darling to the tent. I can hardly sing it. And he sang a whole verse and chorus of the Tennessee Waltz as Christy and I stood there and danced. And my heart was so filled. And I realized this is not about me being a businessman. This is not about me convincing anybody of anything. This is about relationships. And you know what? Charlie and the church, they loved me in spite of my failures and faults, and I loved them. And, and I left there so encouraged simply because Charlie sang while we danced. You can do the same. You may not actually sing a song. You might. But there is a word you can speak to someone that no one else can speak. There's an encouragement that you can provide that no one else can provide. And guess who's responsible for that? You know, that day when I had that moment with that church member after service, and, and, and we're both in tears after we've encouraged each other, I could just see the Holy Spirit standing up there going, yep, yep, next. It's what he does. And he does it so beautifully and so effortlessly. If we will, and, and prayer is such a key to all that. Never forget, encouragement can change a moment, and it can change an outcome. Pray. Let the Holy Spirit encourage. And never miss an opportunity when you receive an impulse to send a text, make a call, shoot an email, stop somebody in the hall, go stop by somebody's house, a word, never pass up one of those impulses because it very well may be the spirit of the living God using you to reveal the encouraging presence of God to someone else. Amen? Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you, O oh God, for even using us to prove your faithfulness to somebody else. Lord, help us not to ask questions. Help us, O oh Lord, to simply be obedient. Thank you for those moments when you encourage us and help us to respond to your impulse when we might be an encourager to someone else. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.